Romans chapter 7. So notice what Paul says here. And so he's evaluating himself and he's able to see where he's at, that he was carnal. And so look at what he says here in in the seventh chapter, verse nine. For I was alive apart or without the law once, but when the commandment came, the sin nature revived and I died. There are people who believe that you're sinlessly perfect, that we don't, believers don't really commit sins. You just make mistakes. Just mistakes. That was just a mistake that you made. Yeah, well, it was a doozy. (laughs) Whatever you want to call it, it was a doozy. And so notice in verse 10, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For the sin nature taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment uh, holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made good unto de- uh, that which was is good made death unto me? God forbid. But the sin that it might appear as sin, working death in me by that which is good, that the sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So the whole thing about the purpose of the law was to show Israel that they could not do what God wanted to do, wanted them to do. He offered them, and you can see over in Hebrews chapter four, a rest. They rejected it. All they had to do was accept that he had done it. All of the promises he he had given to them up to that point, he did it. They didn't have to do anything. They rejected that rest. You and I have a rest today from our labors. And do you know a lot of people reject it? They want to do it their way. And so Paul tried to do this and notice the result, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, or really I would say pertaining to the reason. The law says don't do this or else. It's not appealing to your emotions. It says don't do this or this is the consequences. But I'm carnal, sold under the sin nature for what that which I do, uh, I allow not. For what I desire, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Now, he didn't say that I made a mistake. (laughs) He says, I'm doing it. (laughs) Notice verse 16. If then I do that which I I desire not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but it is the sin nature that dwells in me, for I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Here you go, right here. This is where the rubber meets the road. Or as Courtney said, where it gets down to shoe leather. People think that they're of good. And this is what the problem is. So they don't want to admit all of these thoughts going on in my mind. Well, that's just a mirage. It's not really me, you see. Who I am is what I really show to you on the outside. Nobody wants to admit that they're no good. Because you've been told in this society here has been told ad nauseum by crazy people that there's nothing wrong with you. I'm okay, you're okay. As it turns out, they're not okay and neither are you. There ain't none of us okay. That's what scripture says. Outside of our position in Christ, there is none righteous, none, zilch, nada. 
And so we have a hard time then with a evaluation of ourselves because we don't, we're afraid to look at the deep recesses and say, boy said, I ain't no good. It's just the facts. I ain't no good. And that's how they say it in Oklahoma. <laughs> I didn't try to <laughs> clean it up. And so we have a problem with that. And so that's what Paul was seeing here. And he says, notice he says, it and me that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing to, for the will is present, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I desire I do not, but the evil which I desire not, that I do. And notice in verse 19, you know the, the word that he uses there? He uses the word prasil. And this is really important that he uses this word because the word prasil looks at the fact and, and it's in the uh, indicative that he is at that time practicing it. Okay, so you have a lot of people who say they don't believe that there's a carnal Christian. Okay, let's call them practicing Christians. Christians who are practicing the sin nature. How, how about that? That's what he's saying, right? And so however you want to put it, and then there's people who say, oh no, Paul, Paul wasn't a Christian here. Well, I think we can prove from the context he was a Christian. And uh, anybody that would have questions about that, we can show you that. And so how do you reconcile this? That we, we have this, this conundrum where on a, we have the sin nature that is still with us. And yet God speaks well of us in his son in Christ. And how do we deal with that? We have to make an accurate account of where we are at if we don't. We're going to sink into um, things that we shouldn't. A uh, lot of issues with the sin nature and such. And we see this with the Corinthians. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a, it, you know, the sin nature has a, it can fake you out. Because you can actually start indulging in the sin nature and then it has the ability for you to justify it. I mean, have you ever done that? Oh, I know you guys haven't, but I have. And you and you and before you know it, you're justifying what you're doing. And, you know, you just make excuses for it. So here's what's happening here in first Corinthians. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. You had these divisions in the church. There were some people who were coming to the, the uh, agape feast, which was what they had. And they would have food. And they would bring food and eat before believers who didn't have any. <laughs> you would think like that. That would be like Jeanette bringing her banana pudding. <laughs> Nobody can get it but her. <laughs> <I'm> actually, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine it. And so they would, and so there was a lot going on there. And the believers, these believers were justifying it. And they were coming to the Lordian table, which when you come to the Lordian table, what you're saying is that we are all maintaining the unity of oneness in the body of Christ. When you take of that bread and drink of that cup, that's what you're saying. You're saying I am maintaining the unity of the body of Christ. There's no sin in my life. I am maintaining the unity of the body of Christ. And so that's why we urge people that when they partake of this, this Lordian table, that it's, it's the responsibility for us to get it right with the Lord before you take of that bread and drink of that cup. You don't have to get up and confess everything before people. Please don't. I've heard too much of that, and it makes you blush. <laughs> I mean, some of the things that people say. 
But you, you need to get it right. And so this is what was happening in, for, in the Corinthians. And notice we'll see it. We'll pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I mean, uh, 11. I'm sorry. And so we want to look at how important it is to judge yourself. And so notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about, and let's just start with 23 and we'll read down. He says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he break it and he said, take and eat. This is my body, not which is broken for you. It's really a textual problem there in the original. It's really which is for you. Now, how do we know that just in practice? Do you know the prophecy said not one bone of his body would be broken? And when they went to break his bones on the cross, that he was already dead. And so um, I would translate that. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, the cup, this cup is the New Testament by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you graphically demonstrate the Lord to death until he comes. Wherefore, whosoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord, notice that unworthily, um, uh, it's not according to the proper standard, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And so notice what he says in verse 8, 28, I'm sorry. But let a man examine himself. And let him and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And so this word for examine is uh, dakamazo. And really, it's an, uh, it's an imperative here. You really need to put this to the test. To approve why you're eating of this bread and drinking of this cup. And that there is nothing that you are doing that's a hindrance to the body. For he that eats and drinketh unworthily, eats and drinks. Now that word for <clears throat> damnation is actually is to eat and drinks judgment to himself. Not discerning the body. Not discerning the Lord's body. So see, here's the context. The Lordian table. You have people who are participating in the Lordian table. They're coming and they're participating in this Lordian table. And they are not examining themselves to see that they're in the right relationship with other believers. And so we know the context. They got all of this other stuff going on. They got divisions. We know the, the um, first part of it, that they're, what Chloe says, she got on the phone. Well, she get on the phone, but she, <laughs> she, she contacted Paul and said, there's divisions over here. I mean, there's all kinds of fights and stuff going on here in the church. I don't believe that everybody was in that situation. I believe that was a spiritual group of people who were doing what was right. And she says, Paul, you got to get over here. It's a mess. Or as my wife liked to say, it's a bunch of mess. And so Paul comes or writes to them. And so notice he says um, that they weren't doing this. And so they not discern, they eat and drink judgment to themselves or himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30. For this cause, or really you could say because of this thing, 
this lack of discernment. Many are weak, many are sickly among you, and many sleep. And so you have this staggered um, uh, response to how God intervenes and judges when the believer refuses to judge himself. And so that's what was happening here. And so this idea of, I, I believe, um, it's kind of like what happens with your parents. <clears throat> when your parents, um, you know, you do with your little kid and you say, stop it, little Johnny, pop, pop. Right? And little Johnny, next thing you know, he's back over there. You say, Johnny, pop, 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 stop it. And then, you know, the next time you're going to have to bring out the wood. <laughs> you're going to have to bring out the big stuff. And, you know, with our family, most of the time, I think they had to bring out the big stuff because we were hard-headed. <laughs> we were very hard-headed. And so there's this graduation, it seems, in which God is dealing with the individual believer who refuses to judge himself. And so if you don't judge yourself, then God has to step in. Now, I believe first, because we saw it in 1 Corinthians 6, is that he uses the church. Uh, when it's something that's outward. But not all of the things, the church knows what's going on, right? The church doesn't always know what's going on with me, but I know it. I know it. And so all you, it's not that complicated. All you have to do is First John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of every sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I can do that right there before I take up the Lordian table. It's, that, it's just that simple. And now I've gotten things right in my relationship with the Lord. I can partake of the Lordian table. And so notice he goes on. He says in verse 31, for if we. So he uses a, um, a, uh, a, a um, second class condition here in verse 31. And so the second class condition it has this idea to it. If we would happen to judge ourselves. But you are not. This is what he's saying to the Corinthians. If you were to happen to judge yourself and you're not, you would not be judged and you are. They were being judged. There were believers that are being judged. And I think sometimes there are things that happen in the life of believers. And I don't know that we know when somebody is being judged by God. I do think that that individual knows it. You know, there maybe there are some things that we might see openly where you see people doing things that, you know, hey, this could lead to some <laughs> some chastening here. But, you know, there's a lot of things you, we don't know. So you don't know whether that but that believer knows it. That believer knows it. And so these Corinthians um, were, um, uh, they were in the process of being judged. And this word for being judged is actually the word diacrino. And it's used here of, um, in verse 31, if we judge ourselves, our, you know, it's translated discern ourselves. Um, it's a, it's a it has the idea of something that is continually done. That the believer is looking at himself weighing where he's at. Where am I at relative to where the Holy Spirit wants me to be? And you, you would think that this is something that every believer would do, but I, 
I wonder how many believers actually look at themselves. Did they actually, because I think a lot of people are afraid. They are afraid to look at themselves and take an accurate examination of where I'm at. That, hey, you know, this, my behavior here, it's showing that I'm really gotten off here. I'm really off into the world system here. Or my behavior here, it's showing, oh man, my sin nature's out of control. I need to dial it back. Right? Or, man, Satan is really getting the better of me here. You have to examine yourself. You cannot go through life and not ask these questions. Nobody can. And you say, well, it's going to reveal the fact that I'm just, you know, I mean, it's hard, you know, because I see I'm no good. Well, okay, join the, join the crowd. Ain't none of us any good. Join the crowd. And so I've heard people who say that they'll go to churches and what bothers them is they look like everybody there has it all together. And it makes them think, oh, I got to try to pretend like these people. Well, just, you know, can you do me a favor? Ask somebody once what's really going on in their life or what has happened. I'm sure that they have a story for you that might be able to put you at ease. Because there is none of us that are perfect and we're all on various journeys. And it's the Holy Spirit that gets us there as we live by grace. And so this is a problem because people are afraid to take a close examination of where they're at relative to what Scripture says. And we have to. And if we don't, it, I mean, we're, we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. And I don't know that we would be able to grow and mature in the way that we can. Notice in verse 32, but if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, are really being judged, and I believe that's what was happening to the Corinthians here, we are chastened by the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And so you're a believer, you're in the body of Christ. Have you ever noticed that other people can get away with stuff that you cannot get away with? <laughs> other people they can do anything they want to do this is what frustrated me when I went to college when I said I'm not going back to church I'm going to do my whole thing and everybody was doing and I tried to do everything everybody else was doing and it just wouldn't work it was the most frustrating thing <laughs> most frustrating time in my life because these people just could do anything they wanted to do and nothing happened to them and I take one step bow <laughs> <laughs> you're in trouble. And, and really, God does that. He's, and what it's a sign of is the fact that you belong to him. It's really a positive sign. And if he didn't show that, it would prove that you didn't belong to him. Hold, hold just one, uh, your, your scripture there and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we see this in so many different ways. One of the ways that God shows his love, it's not the only way, but one of the ways that God shows his love for the believer is that, uh, that he chastens the believer. That's one of the ways that you can know. And actually, it's chapter 12. 
that's one of the ways that you can know that God loves, that uh, God is showing love toward the believer because he's not going to allow you to be condemned with the world. And if he didn't do anything to you, it would be proof for the fact <coughs> I would be concerned if I could do anything I wanted to do and nothing happened, I'd be concerned. Here's these people who say, I don't know if I'm a believer or not. I'm a, I don't even know. I'm, I'm doubting. Well, if something, if you're out there and you're engaging in sin and nothing's happening to you, I would be concerned. I really would. Notice in Hebrews chapter 12, notice in, uh, um, we'll pick it up in verse 5. And you have forgotten the, the uh, exhortation which speaks unto you as children, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. And that word for chastening is actually the word child training. So I believe that what God is doing is not that he's said, okay, Kevin, you know, you've done this. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And he's just going to say, pow, pow, pow. It's not that. He's trying to train me to be what he desires for me to be. It's not just um, beating for the sake of just him being able to get off uh, his frustrations. And so notice, for whom the Lord loveth, or whom the Lord is loving, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Uh, if you endure, and so he's talking here to these uh, Jewish believers, um, if you endure chastening, God deals with you um, as sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? Well, generally speaking, that used to be the case that fathers would chasten their children. Well, quite a few that they don't chasten anymore. I mean, you even have a lot of, I was delivering a package once and um, uh, I was at a car dealership and a guy was telling one of the guys next to me, I don't believe you should ever lay a hand on a child. I'm thinking to myself, there is another criminal. <laughs> There's another criminal, and that's probably uh, has happened. Verse 8, but if you be without chastisement, whereof you are all partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. And so one of the ways that we can see that God really shows his love for us is that he is not going to allow us to engage in behavior without chastening us to bring us back away from that behavior. When my mother and, and my father, one of the worst things that I could, uh, my mother would say when we were younger is, I'm going to tell your daddy when he gets here. That was something you did not want to hear. And <laughs> it was like, that's the worst thing that could happen here. And so you knew what was happening. And when they said that they were going to tan your hide, uh, <laughs> which is what they said back then, it, they, they didn't say it. No, oh, I changed my mind. No, it was pretty, pretty sure that that was going to happen. And so why did they do it? They didn't do it to the other children. They didn't go out in the yard with other children in the yard and spank those children. They would tell them to go home. They only dealt with their children. 
This is why people don't understand, well, why does God just not just destroy the world in there? Why is he putting up with this stuff that is going on? Because he has a plan. And in that plan, he's allowing for certain things to happen. And in this period today we're dealing with, he is not chastening the devil's children. But he chastens his. And so notice he says, furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which have corrected us and we have gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And so this issue of chastening, God, one of the ways he does show his love. Now, it's not the only way. I mean, he shows his love in a lot of different ways. But one of the ways that he shows his love for the believer is that he doesn't allow us to get out of line and just let us keep going. He's not going to do that. He's going to pull us back. Now, I don't think that uh, as we look at other scripture, I don't think that the first thing he goes to is, says, oh, that's it. Chastening time. <laughs> no, but I think that, you know, a lot of times it's grieving of the Holy Spirit, right? That you have to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, Kevin, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, you would have to realize that what you would have to do to really get to a certain point, you would have to ignore the Holy Spirit's work in your life and, and not be grieved when the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you to stop. I mean, there's a lot of lines that you're going across. And I do think that God uses chastening as a way of, of saying, come back, get back here. <clears throat> and so you, you see that happens. Now, it's interesting, this word that it used, if you go back to... Um, Verse 32 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse uh, 32. And so notice he says, uh, wherefore... Um, so, but if we are ju- when we are judged, so he says in verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Um, and notice this chastened um, in order that are for the purpose that it tells you why he's doing the chastening. We will not be condemned. And notice there's a soon preposition together with the world. That we're not going to be judged together with the world. There's not going to be one believer who's believed the facts of the gospel that's going to appear at the great white throne judgment. And we're going to see that. And one of the reasons that he chastens the believer is to make sure that he's going to get you the way you need to be. He's going to get every single believer who believed the facts of the gospel. Christ died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. He's going to get every single one who believes that to where they need to be. Not, not one of them is going to be at the great white throne judgment. Not one of them. And really chastening is how he goes about making sure that that doesn't happen. And so you have people who say, um, 
Well, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. And, you know, I'm just so tired of this. Why do I got to listen to all of this? Right? And you have people who are like that. And I've talked to people like that. And uh, it's almost like, have you ever talked to people who are going down the dead end street and you say, hey, that road's closed? And they say, ah, you can't tell me. Okay, I wouldn't go down there if I were you. And you tell people, and they're, they're not so sure. And uh, many times I was um, doing a study that, uh, Lord willing, we might present at uh, Washington on sight words and how important it is as you see these words and um, what happens when believers experience things, right? Sometimes touching that hot stove is actually better than somebody telling you not to touch it. But you know what? God's got it all under control. He's going to get every single believer to where they need to be. Even if, per chance, and what happened here, he had to take some of them home. It actually, it's really, think about it. It's a beautiful thing. I died in a car accident, but I was chastened. He said, oh, that was a horrible thing. I was chastened. But it's just a conundrum, right? Because I'm absent from the body and home with the Lord. <laughs> it was like I told you when I was at FedEx and I had these accidents and they told me, you've got to go to Dip Driver Improvement School. And they sent me to school and so I said, well, what do I have to do? We're sending you to Dallas and you're going to be there a week and we're putting you in a hotel <laughs> and all of this. And said, you've got to stay there and we're going to pay you 80 hours to go to class. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> It was the worst punishment I had. <laughs> I don't think that the believer is looking at it that way. But isn't it ironic that a consequence of that is that by the grace of God, that when he takes a believer home, that believer has the same experience, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And sometimes believers, he has had to take believers home. They become of no benefit to him here on this earth anymore. Their will is stronger than what uh, they would allow him to work in his life. And they are, they are set on doing what they want to do. And now they become of no effect to what God wants for them here on this earth. So his will ends for them here on the earth. <coughs> and so this self-judgment eliminates the need for the Lord to intervene. And so I want to just show you one other scripture in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. You have this issue of uh, self-judgment in a different way, that a different word that is used is actually um, <clears throat> the idea of discernment. In Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. And again, you have this uh, imperative that in which Paul was telling the Corinthians that you need to examine yourself. And it really falls into what Courtney was talking about to see whether you are actually adhering to what is true and that you are actually utilizing the provisions that God has given. And so notice in verse um, 1, Paul says, This is the third time that I'm coming to you in the, month of, uh, two, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as I, I were present and the second time and being absent now, I write to him, them which hear, uh, 
heretofore have sinned and do all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you speak proof of Christ speaking in me, which is to you word, is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God. And so these people weren't respecting uh, his authority as apostle. And, you know, what's interesting is that <clears throat> I think if you look at that uh, earlier uh, second chapter and the well, first, second and third chapter, a lot of the things that were happening there is the Corinthians had become enamored with the wisdom of the world. And so they were measuring things by the world's standards. And I think that this is why they liked Apollos and they had a disdain for Paul because Apollos was a very eloquent speaker. And uh, he was from Alexandria, Egypt, which is one of the educational centers of that time. And so they, they just didn't have uh, uh, the, the kind of view of Paul that they should have. And so notice what he says to him. And so there's a lot of things that were going on. And he says in verse five, examine yourself. And so it's actually it's uh, um, the imperative of Dakamazo. Put yourself to the test. To see whether or not. Uh, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know not that you your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except that you be reprobate or disqualified ones. And so here you, you get, they're doing all of this stuff and they're not really seeing what they're doing. It's funny, you, you can get to the point where the sin nature can fake you out. And you begin to justify why you're doing what you're doing. And so notice, uh, you can see it here, he says, verse 6, But I trust that <clears throat> you shall know that you are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that you do no evil and that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. This is their view of him. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. So this is, you, you will encounter people. They think that they're so smart. And this is what they were saying about Paul. <laughs> this guy, what does he know? And how do they come to that conclusion? Because they're measuring him by how the age was measuring people. Well, you can see it. I mean, that's where it's happening in Christianity today. Right. If you put any good teachers up against some of these um, television televangelists, who do you think people would choose? And so it's same thing. And this is what was happening in verse nine. He says, for we're <laughs> verse 10. He says, therefore, I write these things being absent, but being present that I should use sharpness according to the power. Or really, it's the authority which the Lord has given me to edification and not destruction. Finally, my brethren, be uh, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, love and peace. The love of the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. Notice how Paul still talks to them as they are brothers in Christ. 
I mean, what would I say? I would hope that I could say this. Oh, would hope does it. Ah, I'm so tired of y'all. <laughs> you know, look at how he still deals with them, even in spite of what they said about him. And we have on record what they did say about him that um, I think it's in the 10th chapter where he says, the more I love you, the less I be loved by you. And these were some nasty folk. And some of the things that they were doing. And so this and, and so this ideal here of examining of um, and here, so here you have the putting yourself to the test is the ideal of it. So one of them is you're, you're weighing it for the purpose of approving here in the 13th chapter. The other one is you're looking at it and you're thoroughly judging and you're saying, oh, yeah, this this is off. This is off. You have to do it. You have to take an estimate of where you are at. You and I cannot be engaging in the sin nature and justifying it. We cannot be succumbing to satanic attack and justifying it because we're scared to put all of the chips on the table and say, I'm no good. Do you understand the biggest weight was lifted off my shoulders when I came to that conclusion? But do you know why it, it was the case? Because it's not based upon what we do. It's based upon the grace of God. God's grace provides the power for me to, op- to operate. And what do we see in Titus chapter 2? It is the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. And what does it do? And it teaches us that the denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. God's not looking for perfect people because there are none. There are none. What he's looking for is people who will rest in the work that the Son has already done. And that's hard for, it seems like it's just such an easy thing, but it's hard for people to do because we have this insatiable appetite that I've got to do something. It's almost like we want to do something in order, like we feel like we've got to balance the scales, right? When really what we're doing to balance the scale is like putting a little pebble on (laughs) in comparison to a boulder that really is what the problem is. And so uh, the next um, few weeks, as we close out, we've got four more weeks, then we'll look at the judgments that are coming in the future. Um, and uh, we will look at briefly next week that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? That there is no judgment rendered uh, against the believer today who is in Christ Jesus. And from God's perspective, that's how he sees the believer. And then we'll look at the Bemacy judgment, the judgment of Israel, the uh, judgment of the sheep and goats, and the great white throne judgment.